headed that they will declare ceasefire. They will at least temporarily step away from hostilities and attempt to find other ways to resolve their conflicts. But when I, after I sent you that email the other day, bringing, mentioning this to you and providing some resources, some different ways of talking about and thinking about peace, I did my homework. I wanted to see whether it made the news. Saudi Arabia, preparing to go to war with Iran over a strike on their oil field, made the news. Conflicts, culture wars in Texas made the news. But I'm afraid that the UN-established International Day of Peace did not. It threatens. I had not realized reading through the order of worship that this quote is from Menno Simons in 1537. Peace clothes the naked, feeds the hungry, gives a drink to those who are thirsty, takes care of the poor, reproves, threatens, comforts, and admonishes. I too hung up on that word, which I had skimmed and not processed before. And then we read the Magnificat. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the poor, but sent the rich away empty. This peace, she threatens. What I love about the Bible, what I love about the Magnificat, what I love about this idea of shalom, is it gets us away from thinking about what peace isn't. We think of the peace as the absence of conflict. No more blood. No more war. Which it is. But it is also, always, importantly, got to be the presence of something positive itself. Something that is made. Peacemakers aren't just destroying war. They are crafting something new. Something that has its own life. Its own flavor. So when I asked us this morning to think about the God's peace, how it feels, how it smells, when is a time is that you have experienced it, it is so that we do a little bit more of that focusing on the positive side. My grandmother, when I was growing up, had one of those uh, Jesus uh, cross stitches that you can't read, right, because it looks like it's just random white and orange, white bars on an orange background. You know the one I'm talking about? I got a picture on here I can't show you. Um, until you focus on the negative space. Right. If you look at the white bars, they're incomprehensible. But once you realize that the writing is in the background, then you can see the name of Jesus in it. We focus when we think about peace. On the white space, on the things that are missing from what, how we would expect the world to go. We would expect the world to be full of conflict. When that conflict is missing, we call that peace. Today, I want to invite us to focus on that background, to focus on what it looks like in those voids, in those places, what fills in the gap when violence is gone. Because let me tell you, the stuff that's flowing in there has way more life in it than all of the energy and activity produced by the pursuit of violence. 
I want to invite you all to stand up, because today is a day of discussion. So you don't have to stay standing, but I want you to stand up and get into groups of no less than five. These are not supposed to be intimate one-on-one conversations. I'm wanting you to get together with other people to have a little bit of a sharing time, a swapping. Don't make it bigger than ten. The group of five to ten. And I want you to share with each other your thoughts in, re- in response to this question. What does God's peace taste like? Is there a time that you can remember experiencing it, feeling it? And if you are feeling so inclined, you can also take notes. In the middle of each, the, the middle hymnal of each row has tucked in it the, this, both this question and another question we're going to be considering next. Don't look at that. And I didn't want you looking at these earlier because I didn't want them to be a distraction. These are only for if there is someone who wants to take notes, because I would like to hear back from each group. We're going to take about five to seven minutes to talk. So try to um, try to share, try to hear from each other. And then we're going to come back together and swap these stories, these experiences of God's peace. All right. If uh, people need pencils, I'll be circulating around. But please stand and speak with one another. Stay with your groups, but you can sit down and get comfortable if you want. You can stay standing if you want. I'm going to be standing. So uh, do, whatever, do whatever makes you comfortable. Um, I do want to hear from each group, but I can hear from more than one person in each group. So just because somebody else in your group has said something doesn't mean you can't. Um, but I do want to hear from, from, from each of the different groups at least once. Um, Who'd like to start us off? What, what is the flavor of peace? Where have you seen it? Yeah, we had uh, several diverse ideas here. One was uh, just uh, free thought with nothing racing through your mind, just the absence of thinking, just a clear mind, in other words. Uh, times with nature and being alone in nature without other people and other clutter and other things occupying your thoughts. Uh, moments of children together at peace. Observing nature at peace. Sharing music with others. Focusing at the task at hand. In other words, being in the zone, being so focused on something that you're at peace with your surroundings and, and what you're doing. And animals coexisting in peace. We also mentioned nature, being in nature, um, being with animals, um, enjoying just sitting quietly with the chickens or the sheep or or um, the, the cows in the barn. Um, music was mentioned in our group also. Um, and then one specific thing was in the midst of a of feeling uh, in a, a stressful situation, feeling the envelopment of God's love around you, 
just being carried by God's love was uh, an expression of, of the peace that we had. Yeah, some nice quiet chickens. That's the trick. Or sheep while they're eating. Sheep while they're eating. That's right. And and the idea of peace as silence can pigeonhole us into thinking, well, everything needs to be quiet, quiet, quiet in order for there to be peace. And that can become its own problem. (laughs) It was a good try. Good try. Well, I, I just said that I, yeah, I, I enjoy nature, and we live by a river now, and uh, you know, going out and being by the river and hearing the river sounds is uh, is, is wonderful. Um, but it has also struck me that we enjoy and we can appreciate nature in this way because many of our other needs are met, and so we have the luxury, if you will, of of seeing nature in that way as being peaceful. And just when I am in Zambia with, um, you know, friends or colleagues there um, who are struggling day by day, week by week to have a living and have food, um, you know, nature is not always peaceful. And um, so it's just seeing it in that sense. And, and so for me, seeing peace and Christ's peace is ultimately in seeing who I am in Christ and understanding my position in the big picture. And you could reflect that back to our earlier passage this morning in the in the adult Sunday school time from um, 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 you know from the from the children of Israel entering the promised land, you know. Those who understood their position in God had peace. Those who did not were fearful and wanted to flee. I didn't share this with the group, but I'm, I'm remembering the time when we were present uh, at the passing of my mother and the, the inexplicable uh, sensation was that that God was in control and that that he uh, he w- he was taking my mother to be with him as opposed to worrying about what we're going to do or running around running down the hall and getting the some doctor or something like that there was just it was just it was surreal i, I didn't know that was possible until it happened We were just saying, I mean, we had like three examples of it, but like contented animals. Um, so for us, it's like scratching behind Sadie, our golden retriever's ears is just going to like this kind of like grunting of pleasure and sheep eating. So the sound of contentment and then the rooster sound, which is.
Oh, he whenever we feed, whenever we give some corn to the chickens, the chickens are happily eating, and the roosters uh, standing around there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's chuckling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. It's like it can't be contained. It's like yeah. But part of that for the animals is that there are there that we're in charge that we're responsible for them, and so then when they're happy, we feel at peace. Another thing said in our group was um, when you're sitting on a beach on a beach house porch and you're just listening to the crashing of the waves. It's just so wonderfully evocative to dive into the, the story of the piece, the feeling of these, the moments of it. When we when we reflect on these things, we summon them. We, we bring the peace up out of the woodwork and into our hearts. And we let it dwell with us, Emmanuel, God pitching a tent right here in our hearts. But of course, peace is no simple business. Just ask the people who are in peace, justice, and conflict studies. Just ask the UN, who for all their best efforts don't, don't seem to be making much headway. And our second question deals with some of that difficulty and ambiguity. We live in a world torn by violence. Not as violent as it has been in eras past in terms of the, num- the percentage of humans dying by the sword, but more humans than ever in terms of the number of humans dying by violence. This is a map of global conflicts. And some of these colors might surprise you. Afghanistan, there in Central Asia, and Yemen, where we've been hearing so much in the news, we might expect to be the darkest color of the, of the most bloody kind of conflict. That is to say, over 10,000 deaths in the last five years. But we might not have remembered that Mexico ranks among them. That alongside the Afghan insurgency, the Yemeni civil war, the Syrian civil war, there is a drug war that amounts to a civil war in many parts of the country that is our neighbor. And from a country from which many of our neighbors come, a country that they call home. So this was a a, a strong reminder for me. Um, Of the of lesser conflicts with over a thousand deaths. I ask that we also keep in our prayers the Somali civil war, the insurgency in Nigeria, in Iraq, the insurgency of Boko Haram that also covers a different part of Nigeria and, and, and spreads internationally, ethnic conflict in South Sudan and northern Mali, and the civil war in Libya. Ours is a world in desperate need of peace and in desperate need of peacemakers, people who will focus on the good things that you just described and summon them into existence, recall them to people's hearts 
so that people can feel it. But who are the peacemakers? Where are they to be found? If you drive around the New River Valley, this is where you see Matthew quoted. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Has anyone seen this symbol before? It's called the Thin Blue Line. It's a play on the old uh, British poem, The Thin Red Line, that described a thin line of British soldiers between the chaotic, unnamed hordes of African barbarians and the civilized world. Or is it the Crimean War? It might have been Russian barbarians. It might have been Russian barbarians. Anyway, the thin blue line is this idea that between the good people of America and the chaos of a criminal world stands a thin line of policemen, the peacemakers. I believe that police do best understand their work as being makers of peace. And I think that there is something there that people should be proud of, although how Texas gets involved, I'm not sure. But I also think that this connection of Matthew's idea of the peacemaker with the sword-wielding servant of the state who keeps, us, who keeps security can lead us astray. For a text that says, blessed are the peacemakers, that, that armband patch looks awfully warlike. And when you start calling your handgun a peacemaker, I think perhaps you have misplaced the emphasis that your police work ought to be taking. We need security. The world is torn by conflict and people need security. But how we get that security, how we think about that security, how that security is pursued is a core question for those of us who love peace. Because so often, my security means your destruction. And time and again, conflict after conflict, every single one of these that I mentioned, people on both sides are killing each other so that they can be secure. This leads us to our second set of questions that I would like you to focus on today. Our quest for security. Got it up here somewhere. In contrast to the peace of God that we have just been describing, have you ever seen forced, coercive peace? Have you ever felt pushed into silence? How did it feel to you in that moment? And how do safety and control relate to the peace of Christ that dwells in our hearts? Because it is not a simple answer. We do need to be safe. And yet, the very things that we trust to make us safe, the power of princes, we are told in Scripture, can turn on us and do just the opposite. 
So this will be a much shorter discussion. I just want um, a few, to float a few ideas within the group, and then once again we will come back together and share what we've, share what we've come to. How have you, have you ever seen forced coercive peace? How did it feel to you in the moment? How do safety and control relate to the peace of Christ? Don't feel like you have to answer all three. They're in many ways the same question, but come with your responses. I hate to interrupt these conversations, but we do need to move along if anybody's going to get any lunch ever. So, who would like to start? I guess I started from this end last time, so I'll start over here. Okay, I can share one idea. Um, I was just thinking about uh, safety and control. Those are really big themes with some of the folks I work with who have PTSD. The idea of being really on guard to make sure that things stay safe, sometimes armed to make sure that things stay safe, and really trying to control aspects of the environment. And the interesting thing about it is that it really backfires. Mm -hmm. So for folks who really have experienced trauma and have good reason to want that safety and control, um, they chase after it even more and it starts to feel really out of control and really unsafe. So it's just a reflection I had versus the peace of Christ, which is based on trust, based on something in, internal um, that I definitely don't have control over. Yeah. And you see the words of Scripture saying that outside of Christ there is no true, durable peace. It's born out by our most cutting-edge psychologists. And I was I was sharing with our group that I was um, in the in Ukraine when it was still part of the Soviet Union um, before the wall came down. And so while there was peace, it did come at a cost to those there um, as far as being able to. I mean, one can make an argument they didn't get to express themselves individually. And that that's, you know, a two sided coin. But um, it was it was difficult. There was definitely um, a palatable um, stress and just, you know, hyper-anxiety and just because people, you know, it's a matter of you can't trust people. Who's going to turn you in or whatever? But, I mean, you could walk the streets at 2 a.m. and feel safe in that sense because you didn't want to be in a Soviet prison. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there's just simple logistics of needing to get from one place to another and needing something to happen. And it really, as far as I'm concerned, needs to happen now. And and uh, so there are moments, I don't know what percentage of the time you girls might think that we actually can sit down and and make time to hear each other and listen to each other and and try to understand each other's perspectives. But oftentimes we don't feel like we have the bandwidth to take the time to do that. Otherwise we'll miss out on whatever's next or, or, or something. So, um, 
you know, consequences that if this doesn't stop, then we're going to, this is going to need to happen in an order for, I mean, yeah, um, so, you know, you've got these grand ideas about, you know, on the international scale, on the community scale and all that sort of stuff, but if you can't work it out in your own four walls, then why are you laughing? <laughs> Any others? I would just say one thing that Jesus' vision is not easily confined to the circumstances we feel in this age. Um, and he, he rooted some of his understanding about what we should be thinking in terms of how much we actually believe that he's telling us about the new age, the, the next age, the next world, so to speak. It's not entirely that, but it's you can't ignore that side of it. Absolutely. I think that this conundrum, this contrast between um, order and peace and security that comes from, that is imposed, and the peace that comes from within, is exactly the conundrum, the contrast that is posed by the Bible. This is the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament. A God who promises security, physical security, wages wars on behalf of this tribe, this people. But it is only a step on the way to the next world. A progression, a story leading us towards true peace, really durable peace. Peace that comes with Christ from within. So I think that that point is, is absolutely well made. We understand, the, the broader our hearts get, the more we, our perspective on what security and control means changes. Horton could hear the people. For him, security meant that he had to keep that speck of dust safe. For the kangaroo who couldn't hear the people, security meant getting the elephant to stop charging around and stomping all over everything. It meant getting the elephant acting normally again, not being crazy pants. And so their conflicting ideas of security come about because they have conflicting information. They have conflicting ideas of who is a person, who matters. And we see this playing out time and again. Conflicting ideas of what security means, how we can be safe. that are restructured, that are realigned when finally the kangaroo hears the voices coming from the speck of dust. When finally those in power hear the voices of the small and the oppressed, the weak, and come to include them inside their definition of security. I have always been deeply offended by the way, our press and our government counts American lives above and uniquely from others. This is not Christ's perspective. And if you consider the lives of those who live in other places to be worth equally an American life, how does that change the way you do business out there? The way you wage wars? Security is incredibly important. And I don't want to minimize that or cast aspersions on those who dedicate their life to it. 
but security understood as order and control imposed from the outside can only be understood as a stepping stone towards the true peace that comes from within with Christ. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck in cycles of security fighting security century after century until the new world comes. Thank you so much for joining me today in this conversation as we talk about peace, what it is, and how we in our own hearts and our own feelings contribute to it. Please join me for a final word of prayer as we wrap up this time together. Lord, make us your peacemakers. Put your peace in our hearts that we can feel it and taste it. Put it on our tongues so that we can describe it and create it in others. Your world is aching, Lord. Thirsty for the one who is called the Prince of Peace. Remind us today of who we are in you. In the words of Menno Simons, we who were formerly no people at all and who knew of no peace are now called to be a church of peace. True Christians do not know vengeance. They are the children of peace. Their hearts overflow with peace. Their mouths speak peace. And they walk in the way of peace. Let it be so with us, Lord, this day and every day. Amen.